Okay, good afternoon. This is Schaefer Spires. Today is May 20th, 2022. I am here for the Dayson Digest. Today we have a uh, subject that I know is near and dear to everyone's hearts, talking about UTI treatments, specifically recurrent UTI treatments. This is something that we all interact with very often, especially as stewardship champions. We see a lot of over-treatment in asymptomatic bacteria, and we see a lot of treatment of symptomatic cystitis that may or may not be infectious. I also see a lot as a, an ID clinician of recurrent UTIs and antimicrobial resistant bugs causing UTIs, and we often have to go through this workup to try and figure out why certain women have recurrent UTIs and try to figure out how to slow them down uh, and find some amenable or modifiable risk factors for them. Uh, they, they can be very difficult and life-altering for a lot of women. And today, I'd like to talk about a specific study that just came out in the British Medical Journal entitled Alternative to Prophylactic Antibiotics for the Treatment of Recurrent UTIs in Women. It's a multi-center, open-label, randomized, non-inferiority trial. And it was just published this March of 2022. We will have the uh, link or uh, attachment to the PDF associated with this podcast publication. Now, before I get too much into this specific article, I want to just declare, I am not a fan of prophylactic antibiotics for the treatment of recurrent UTIs in anybody. It's a very difficult scenario. I understand this is something that's not just made up in someone's head or only for crazy people or anything like that. It's a very serious syndrome that must be dealt with and quite frankly, is very difficult to deal with. Personally, I believe that using prophylactic antibiotics for the treatment of recurrent UTIs should be a salvage treatment. And all other options should be expanded upon, as well as trying to figure out as to why these recurrent UTIs are occurring. As we talk about this, I, I wanna highlight some of the risk factors that are known for recurrent UTIs in women, uh, specifically the modifiable risk factors. When you think about premenopausal women, these include the use of spermicidal products, and being sexually active. New sexual partners are independent risk factors as well, and uh, rate or frequency of sexual intercourse is a, is a known risk factor as well. Things that are not associated with recurrent UTIs are body mass index, cotton underwear, bubble baths, caffeine intake, uh, multiple of other things that uh, have been uh, thought of being risk factors have not necessarily been proven in uh, robust clinical trials. There are also some genetic factors that probably play a role in women's susceptibility to recurrent UTIs, including certain parts of your innate immune system, certain parts of your uh, 
urinary system, such as the toll-like receptors that um, E. coli, for instance, uses to bind to urethelial cells. And uh, due to some of these differences, you could be more of at risk for recurrent UTIs. These are obviously not modifiable risk factors and sometimes not worth trying to tease out. I think further study is necessary in these to see if we can help identify women with these types of risk factors. Uh, so if studies end up coming out that uh, are, are pertinent to us clinically, we'll certainly bring those back here to this podcast. <clears throat> in postmenopausal women, things like incontinence, uh, history of UTIs, residual urine after voiding have been associated with recurrent disease, uh, neurogenic bladder, and diabetes in itself is also a risk factor, but most likely due to some decrease in their innate immune function against bacteria, as well as the increased likelihood of having a neurogenic bladder, which increases your risk of having uh, increase residual, residual urine after voiding. Now, the other thing I think is very important to think about is there, there's this age-related alteration of the normal vaginal flora associated with loss of lactobacillus. Lactobacillus is very important because it, uh, they produce this, these toxins and uh, they even produce hydroperoxide that help reduce and, and increase competition with other bacteria, specifically uropathogenic bacteria. And uh, estrogen in these uh, epithelial lining of the, the vagina is important to maintaining a healthy ratio of lactobacillus versus other bacteria. And uh, sometimes when someone does have recurrent UTIs in a, in a postmenopausal woman, local estrogen administration can help reduce that risk of recurrent disease. Now, I'm going to get into this uh, article here in a second, but you know, one question I think we need to talk about is: Do prophylactic antibiotics actually help reduce the risk of recurrent infection? And honestly, uh, you know, I got to be frank here. Even though I don't like it, it is a uh, scenario that does, or it is a treatment that does reduce the risk of recurrent UTIs. Now, and this is something that, you know, in my clinical practice, I will only consider after we have done everything else possible. And usually there's a scenario where we can actually find the reason why the, 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 the woman is having recurrent UTIs, but we can't necessarily fix that scenario, such as someone with a neurogenic bladder and they're having to do self-intermittent catheterization or even potentially considering suprapubic catheterization or even worse, a uh, chronic uh, urethral uh, catheter placement. Sometimes these scenarios, uh, we do ultimately have to use prophylactic antibiotics. With that comes a great cost. Now, the reason why I don't like using antibiotic prophylaxis is because it doesn't work forever and it increases the risk of antibiotic resistance. And this is usually the patients that I get in my clinic is the antibiotic resistant, the patients with antibiotic resistant bacteria, and they no longer have the option of using a PO prophylactic agent. And so maybe I do have a skewed view on the, the risks, but I think they're all obviously there. 
um, and something to think about. There's also just the risk of taking antibiotics other than resistance, including nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, uh, renal abnormalities, and other hemologic abnormalities from taking prolonged antibiotics. And in the, in the uh, situation of nitrofuranto and prolonged use of, of this drug can, can lead to pulmonary toxicity. And so we obviously want to avoid that if we can. And, and there are non or alternative to antibiotics uh, that have been used, uh, specifically this methenamine hippurate, which is what we, they studied in this particular trial. What I like about this trial is it is designed as a pragmatic, randomized clinical trial. And in their pragmatic design, they went and asked the patients, uh, they did uh, several focus groups to figure out at which point would they consider the outcome to be non-inferior in the treatment uh, uh, group. So, so what do I mean by that? They, they said, the study arms of the trial included the treatment group, which was methenamine prophylaxis versus antibiotic prophylaxis. And so they went and asked the, the uh, focus groups, at which point would you consider methenamine non-inferior to the prophylactic antibiotics when they're talking about the primary outcome of recurrent UTIs? And the focus groups all ended up saying that, or came up with a consensus of having uh, a difference of one less or one greater UTI that year would constitute as meeting non-inferiority non margin in, in their minds. And so this is a very helpful outcome, I think, uh, because it's, it's obviously clinically relevant because they asked the patients and came up with a consensus. So in the, in the antibiotic group, the antibiotics used were nitrofurantoin, trimethoprim, or cephalexin, given once a day. And then in the methenamine group, it was prescribed as twice a day oral dose of one gram. As I mentioned, the primary outcome, again, it was a clinical outcome. So you had to have symptoms plus an episode of treatment with an antibiotic. When you look at the demographics of the uh, the baseline demographics of both groups, the average number of symptomatic UTIs that were occurring before these patients entered the trial was about 6.8 to 7 times a year. Now, I think this number is, is important to think about because the definition of recurrent UTI tends to uh, say that more than three episodes a year defines a recurrent UTI, or more than two episodes in a six-month period defines a UTI. This is important, especially to us clinically, because I, I can never claim to completely eradicate uh, urinary tract infections in, in most of my patients. And so instead, we have to readjust expectations and say, look, I can potentially get your number of recurrences down to closer to three to four a year. And as long as the, none of these are leading to hospitalizations, I think we have to sometimes come up with this type of expectation uh, to define our success. This group also looked at several secondary outcomes that are important, including um, antibiotic-treated UTI in the six months after this trial was over. 
They also looked at microbiologically confirmed UTIs, and they looked at antibiotic resistance profiles in E. coli isolates. Uh, they did some surveillance from urine and perineal swabs to look for these resistance profiles. They also looked at asymptomatic bacteria and overall antibiotic use in hospital admissions. I briefly mentioned how they came up with a non-inferiority margin, which was defined by a patient focus group and was a difference of one UTI episode per year. Now in the results, this the study period was a year long and they recruited 240 patients and they assigned 120 to each group. In the group that received antibiotic prophylaxis, about 55% of them received nitrofurantoin, 25% received trimethoprim, 20% received cephalexin. In the primary outcome, especially in the modified intention to treat population, there were 90 symptomatic antibiotic treated UTI episodes reported over 101 person years. And then there were in the methanamine treatment group, there were 141 episodes over 102 point person years. Thus the incidence of symptomatic antibiotic treated UTIs over this 12 month treatment period was 0.89 episodes per person year in the antibiotic group and 1.3 in the methanamine hippurate group. So this ultimately met the non-inferiority margin and thus methanamine hippurate administration administered for prophylaxis was considered non-inferior to the antibiotic group. Now on a relative scale, the adjusted incidence rate ratio was estimated as 1.52 in favor of antibiotic prophylaxis. So therefore the antibiotic prophylaxis still seemed to uh, perform better However, according to the clinical definition of a non-inferiority uh, limit, methanamine ultimately qualified. Looking at some of the secondary outcomes, in the six months post-treatment, so when everybody is off their treatments, uh, antibiotics or methanamine, the UTI incidence rate was 1.19 for those who received the antibiotic prophylaxis and 1.72 for those who received the methanamine hippurate groups respectively. The other important thing to remember or to realize, there clearly was a benefit to the methanamine at least in the first six months in regards to antimicrobial resistance. When looking at antimicrobial resistance, they noticed that at the six months perineal swabs or urine uh, swabs, there was greater resistance to E. coli, and that's resistant to any antibiotics in those who were taking antibiotic prophylaxis compared to methanamine. However, that actually reversed at month 18 for those who were taking methanamine. In fact, there were more resistance uh, in those taking methanamine compared to those who took the antibiotic prophylaxis. This difference in the 18 month period were not statistically significant, but nonetheless show that the resistance reduction compared to antibiotic prophylaxis in the methanamine group did not last. 
Now they also looked at uh, patient satisfaction and on average treatment satisfaction was high and generally comparable between these two groups. Although the antibiotic prophylaxis group reported higher scores in the convenience domain because they were usually just once a day compared to methenamine being twice a day, there was no other uh, uh, complaints or really any significant differences when it came to adverse events either. But the conclusions of this study, they suggest that while both antibiotic prophylaxis and methenamine salts or methenamine uh, hippurate are um, viable options, they suggest that given the lower chance of developing resistance uh, while they're on the treatment course with methenamine, that it, it certainly should be considered more often than it already is. Now this should be taken with an asterisk, honestly, because there have been previous uh, multi-center randomized controlled trials that did, really did not show as much of a benefit with methenamine salts as compared to placebo and compared to antibody prophylaxis. This is a pragmatic multi, I mean, uh, a pragmatic randomized non-inferiority trial, and thus that's why we have some slightly more positive results because they're they attempted to be uh, use a clinically relevant relevant outcome, and so it's it's important to keep this in mind as you interpret the results of this study. The other thing to keep in mind is. Most of the time, even if you ultimately have to use the salvage treatment of prophylactic antibiotics or even prophylactic methenamine, this isn't gonna last forever. Fortunately, recurrent UTIs tend in most women to cluster and therefore it really is not gonna last a lifetime. Most of the patients that I inter interact with in this scenario, with this scenario, tend to have clusters of recurrent UTIs that last about six months or as long as a year. Very rarely do we have issues that last multiple years at a time. And so therefore, in most treatment guidelines in European as well as in American, are gonna recommend about six months of prophylaxis no matter what you use. And then followed by a period of kind of rebaselining and making sure they still need it. Other non-antibiotic options for the prevention of recurrent UTIs include uh, local administration of estrogen, and this is obviously going to have to be taken into account with other risk factors for uh, uh, administration of supplemental estrogen. Um, oral lactobacillus did not show to be a benefit. However, vaginal lactobacilli suppositories seem to be superior to placebo in certain, uh, or in one particular trial. Cranberry products really did not, have not shown to be a significant, uh, or to have any significant reduction in recurrent UTIs. However, I know many women that swear by them and therefore I am not gonna argue with them just because they didn't have a statistically significant difference in some randomized controlled trial. Um, basically, I think this ultimately speaks to the difference in the causes of recurrent UTIs in many women. And it's very important to address them uh, individually. Uh, this becomes quite the headache for me as I'm reviewing 
uh, antibiotics in the hospital. Uh, for instance, if someone comes in uh, with a stroke and find out they're on daily uh, Keflex or daily nitrofurantoin, and somebody wants to continue that particular drug while they're in the hospital, uh, I will tend to go and find out the reason and how long they've been on that particular antibiotic before we resume it in the hospital. Um, that way, sometimes the antibiotic just gets left on the list um, and we'll set them up for a greater uh, chance of, of having uh, diarrhea, C. diff, or resistant bug while they're in the hospital if, if we resume it without reason. This is all I have for today. Uh, again, it's May 20th uh, for the Dayson Digest. I will post this particular uh, article uh, along with the publication of the, of the podcast and look forward to uh, interacting with you all uh, regarding treatment or prevention of uh, recurrent UTIs and of course, preventing treatment of asymptomatic bacteria while in the hospital. Um, as I know, this is something that we all interact with and deal with daily. Thank you.